We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. You know, I love uh, teaching through the Bible. Oh, it's a lot, lot easier than doing topical studies. For me anyways, I know topical studies have their place because we kind of see what's going on and the needs out there. But when you teach through the Bible, it's a real safeguard. Um, and us teaching what the Lord wants us to cover and not necessarily, you know, what we want to. And today we're going to have a real heavy message that Jesus speaks. In verses 1 through 5, it's kind of a lesson in humility in verses 6 through 9, it's a lesson for productivity. And then in verses 10 through 17, it's just an element of sensitivity that God wants us to be sensitive to His Holy Spirit and the work that He wants to do in the lives of His people. But let's begin, first of all, by reading verses 1 through 5, in which it says, There were present at that season some who told Him, speaking of Jesus, about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you all, all likewise perish. Or those 18 on which this tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I think the context here is Jesus speaking to the nation of Israel. And Jesus is uh, warning them, really. You know, because they came to the Lord and they told him the story about the tragedy that took place that Pontius Pilate had gone and done. We don't know for sure, but more than likely what was happening was the Galileans were there in the temple offering their sacrifices and Pilate killed them while they were offering their sacrifices. And so it mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. Now again, we're not real sure on the context, but most people will tell you that it probably took place at a time in which Pontius Pilate was raising funds for an aqueduct and he wanted funds from the temple. Uh, Jews resisted this. They didn't want to take their temple money and give it to their politician. And so what Pontius Pilate did, according to history, is he sent men undercover into the temple and they killed people within the temple. And so it was a, an atrocity. It was a tragedy, we see, that the people come and they tell Jesus about. Lord, this is crazy. Verse 1, they told him about the Galileans. Now, if you're honest, most of us here in listening to that type of question, we're probably then, you know, venture into the area of why do bad things happen like this? What a tragedy. What an atrocity. But Jesus didn't do that because the Lord looked deeper into our hearts, right? And what does the Lord tell them? He says, you guys, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that they were worse sinners than you are. huh? That's what you're thinking. That that's why the atrocity took place in their life. That that's why the tragedy happened to them. Because they were worse sinners than you are. 
Huh, that's what you're thinking. And so the Lord said to them, no, that's not what happened. He says in verse 3, I tell you no, but here it is, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, the Lord begins to correct them. The Lord begins to convict them. You know, it was common in the culture then, and sometimes I think now, that tragic death or sudden death are the results of extreme sinfulness on man's part. And so, you know, people began to whisper, and the rumors started. People concluded that they must be getting what they deserved. But Jesus said no. As a matter of fact, he not only corrects them, he convicts them, and he says, listen, unless you repent, you're going to suffer the same punishment. Now, again, we know this has a national meaning, that Jesus was speaking to the nation of Israel, telling them to believe in him and whom the Father sent. And unless they repented of their sins, they would perish, which they did in the year 70 AD. But it also has a personal meaning. You know, I think in the end, in looking at this section right here, it's really a lesson in that Jesus says, listen, be careful When you make judgments like that, Christians died in Japan, Christians died in Indonesia, Christians have heart attacks, Christians have miscarriages, Christians sometimes, good Christians can't have children, don't think it's because of their sin. Maybe it is, God sometimes does do those things, maybe it's not, we need to be very careful when we begin to make judgments like that. Don't think that they're worse sinners than you are. That's a really crazy thought when you think about it. In James chapter 2, verse 11, the Father says, says this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, the Bible says he's guilty of all. It's kind of interesting the way that the Lord just kind of turns it around real quick. He doesn't make it a philosophical question. He makes it a very personal issue. And he basically says, listen, we're all sinners. And rather than looking at others and their calamities and fallacies, rather than coming to that type of conclusion about the sentence of their sins, consider your own sins. And I'll tell you what, man, that's a great place to be. You know, if I really began to deal with my heart, if I really began to deal with the issues of my life, if I grew to be a godly man, what an impact that would make on my wife. What an impact that would make on my kids. What an impact that would make maybe on those around me who I think have got you know, some major problems. Because I've got so many things in my heart that are toxic. And God says, listen, that's where I want you to focus right now. Because you've got to be careful that you don't get into that mindset. Again, don't get me wrong. God does judge sin. But... Only God makes those type of judgments. Only God really knows what's really going on. Remember what happened to Job? Job was a righteous man. He feared God. He shunned evil. Blameless. He would wake up every morning and pray for his family. Lord, just in case they sinned, I, I, I just come before you, Lord, and have your hand on them. But then, man, it's just crazy. Everything happened to him. And everybody thought, that it was because of his sin. But they were wrong. You know, it's so sad when self-righteous Christians say stuff like it's their sin that caused the catastrophe, I saw it coming, and anyone can see they're worse sinners than I am. 
You know, we've got to be so careful. In the end, the comforters of Job were humbled big time. But it didn't happen until the end. You know, in John chapter 9, the disciples thought it was the personal sin of this man or his parents that caused him to be born blind. In Acts chapter 28, the natives thought that it was Paul's sin and God's justice that allowed him to get bitten by a snake. We see some misconceptions within the scriptures. And we need to be so careful, you guys. It would actually be better to just leave the conclusions to God. No, Jesus says, listen, if that's your heart, if that's the type of person that you are, then you need to repent or you will be judged. (laughs) He's saying that. He repeats it for emphasis in verses 4 through 5. And in verse 4 through 5, there's a distinction because now it's not Galileans. Now it's individuals who dwell in Jerusalem. So more than likely, that's Jews. Bad things happen to Galileans. Bad things happen to Jews. The first one is at the hands of Pilate. The second one is kind of like a freakish national, you know, disaster where the, you know, the the tower falls on people, you know, and and so, you know, different things, but it's the same truth. Bad things happen to different types of people. They happen at the hands of bad people like Pilate. Bad things happen in freakish ways like the collapsing of a tower. But we just need to be careful in making flippant statements, callous and self-righteously. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. If I can just say this, I don't think it would be wise for any of us here to say that they are a worse sinner than I am. That's what the Lord says right there. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all others? Do you suppose that these people that died were worse sinners than others? I I don't know. I, I could never say that. For so many reasons. You know, you don't know their background. You don't know what their makeup is. You don't know their mental capabilities. You don't know their true emotional instabilities. You don't know their start. You don't know their heart. You actually might be worse than them because you might be more accountable than they are. Maybe you're here today, you've given God's grace. God's given you this fountain of faith that others don't have. Just be so careful because you might be guilty of the paramount sin called pride. And yet there you are taking it in stride and God tells you today to repent. John uh, Greenleaf Whittier, he said this, Man judges from a partial view. None ever yet his brother knew. The eternal eye that sees the whole may better read the darkened soul and find to outward sense denied the flower upon its inmost side. See, God knows. All I'm saying is this, be careful. You know, God knows he can judge the guy like he did in Acts chapter 12 when Herod was speaking. Everybody said it's the oration of God. This guy's doing a great message and he's taking it all in. Yeah, it's me because I'm so good. And the Bible says God struck him. He was eaten by worms and then he died. God can do that, but we need to be real careful that we make you know, don't make conclusions. Do don't play God. I think we're better off not comparing ourselves to others, not measuring ourselves against others. They do sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They're worse. I don't know. I would never, ever say that. Beware, number one, of self-righteousness, you guys. You know, I know these things happen, and 
The Lord does judge. We don't know why. You know, I don't think they necessarily said it. I think they thought it. And so just be real careful. Bring those thoughts into captivity and give it to the Lord. The Lord says, no, unless you repent, you're going to perish likewise. So we need to be careful of self-righteousness. We need to be careful of barrenness. Because look what it says in verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Now, and undoubtedly, in a general sense, the fig tree is representative of Israel. And I think if you want to even get more detailed, the vine is in reference to Israel, and the fig tree is probably in reference to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem was what? The temple. And what God is basically saying is that, man, for you religious leaders, I've been looking for fruit. And I'll tell you what, for three years I haven't really found it. The man here in the parable represents the father, the one who planted the tree in his own vine, and the keeper of the vine and fig tree is Jesus. You know, it's natural that a fig tree is planted in order to produce figs, right? I mean, that's just easy, right? You don't need a theological degree to understand that. How many of you here have ever planted like fruit trees or tomatoes or nectarines? Aranjas. How many of you here have banana trees in your backyard? You don't have those, but you do have others, right? And so you plant that, you know, nectarine tree in. I don't know if it's a seed, maybe it's a little tree. You want what? You want you want nectarines, right? And if it doesn't have nectarines after you know a certain amount of time, X amount of time, you're like, well, I guess it's a it's a bad tree. It got a you know literally a bad lemon or something, right? And so you know you get rid of it, you know. And and that's kind of what the Lord is saying right here regarding the nation of Israel, regarding Jerusalem and its leaders, and also, I think, you know, regarding us. How many of you here like figs? They're good, huh? How many of you here like fig Newtons? Just out of curiosity. It's been a while since I've had those, but they're good, you know? And that's what the Lord wants. He wants the fruit. He's not speaking literally, of course, of figs, but he's speaking of spiritual fruit, things like faith and faithfulness. Not literal lemons, but I would say love. Maybe not mangoes, but mercy. Not papayas, but peace. It's moral fruit, character, spirituality, revealing a heart that is open to the agriculture of the Almighty, the farming of the Father who wants to make his people like his son. And when I look at Jesus and I see him in the Gospels and I see the way he is, I just see a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, perfect expression of love. Because when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, I know there's a lot of things listed in the Bible, not only in Galatians 5, but otherwise, I think that the, the primary fruit is love. And what we're going to see is that all these things, they lead to a really bad place. 
Beware of self-righteousness where you think they're worse sinners than you are. As a matter of fact, we're going to see later, it's better to consider yourself the chief of all sinners. Beware of self-righteousness and beware of barrenness. Now, when I'm speaking about barrenness, I'm speaking about when you look in the mirror, when you look into your heart, do you really see love? Do you really see that? Because that's what the Lord is looking for. You know, the Lord is looking for fruit. You know, when you think about these religious leaders of Jesus' day, you know, they weren't open. They weren't changing. They weren't growing. To them, it was just religious rules and regulations. And so when God looked at them, it was a lot different than when everyone else looked at them. Now, in all honesty, think about yourself. Going back to those days, when everyone else looked at these religious leaders, everyone else thought they were right on. Everyone did. But God knew they were way off. Why? Because it comes back to love. It comes back to love, not dotting every I or crossing every T. It comes back to a heart that beats like God's heart, a heart of love. Oh, yeah, Manny, I've got some love. I've got a whole bunch of correcting love. Cool, you know, and you're critical. And you criticize everything. I've had people tell me you shouldn't have the dove there. You guys are way off because you have a dove or you've got the cross there. I've already got people telling me we shouldn't have a, you know, alternative to Halloween. Stay away from stuff like that. And I've had people tell me just a whole bunch of their personal convictions. And they punch us with it, but they don't speak it in love. We've got to be really careful. I've had people tell me you shouldn't wear Converse when you're teaching. Well, let me tell you a little lesson about, you know, Converse. You know, and real quick, I love that some of you dress up for church. You know, I love that. I think it's beautiful. So don't think that, you know, you, you can't come in here with a suit and tie. I'd like to see that, in all honesty, you know. But it's okay to wear Converse. One time I remember I was teaching with Converse on, and a young person afterwards, they came up to me and they said, you know what, I didn't want to come here to this church, you know, but... You know, I started watching you and I, and I listened and then I saw you had Converse on. And I said, man, he's a cool pastor, you know. <laughs> and so I said, yeah, you know what, I am a cool pastor. <laughs> no, I'm not. Actually, I'm not cool at all. But all I'm saying is that, you know, you get all these, these you know, and, I, and thank God for our personal convictions, but, but just be really, really careful because personal convictions are, are personal. You know, and you have to really be led by the Lord. You know, all I'm saying is that, yeah, my, my love is a correcting love, but don't let it just be a correcting love. Let it be a comforting love. Let it be a real love in which you love everybody. Because if you don't love everybody, I was talking to someone, you know, earlier, and they were just having a problem loving their spouse. You know, and you can be doing everything else right, and they want to do all these different things for the Lord, and they're doing a lot of different things for the Lord, but there's one person in their life that they're not loving. Now, is God going to honor that? No. God is not going to honor that. We can't have anybody in our life that we don't love. Because if you've got something against somebody, then don't even go to the altar. You go and you make it right with God because that's what God's looking for. 
big deal. You love everybody that loves you. Big deal. That's not impressive to God. Be careful of self-righteousness where you think everyone else is a worse sinner than you. Be careful of barrenness when God looks at you and love is not there. There's got to be the fruit of the Spirit. And so the owner tells the keeper of his vineyard, look, it's been three years now and still no fruit on this fig tree. Cut it down. Why does it use ground? Such fruitless fig trees would actually deplete the soil, robbing it of nutrients that would be needed by other trees and plants around the area. You know, when you, just real quick, when you go to church service or you're part of a church or whatever, you know, you can be a giver. And I pray that we would have that heart. You know, I want to come in here, Manny. I want to come in here and bear fruit, you know, so that others can eat it. I want to be here for the Lord. I want to be here for others. But if you're not, then you're just a taker. You're just a taker. That's what the Lord said. This fig tree right here that's been planted right here, I need to get rid of it because they're not here for me. They're here for the position. They're not here for me. They're here for what they can get out of it, not just for what they can give. And so the Lord says, I'm going to cut it down. I'm going to cut it down. Justice says, you know, cut it down. But, of course, our God is very gracious. And he has another plan. He says, okay, how about if we give it a little more time? And I will exhaust my resources, God says. I'll do everything I can. I'll dig around it and fertilize it, miracle grow, you name it, man. And if it bears fruit, then cool. You know, things are going to change. They're going to go forward. But if not, then I will cut it down. God says. And that means different things to us, of course. But God's not afraid to cut it down. He's not. He's not. You know, I'm so glad that God's the God of the second chance. And I'm so blessed that we have numerous chances, you know, in God's, you know, calendar. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to know that although He's the God of numerous chances, He's not the God of endless chances. And if God is speaking to you in any area of your life, maybe it's been three years now. Maybe it's been longer. I don't know. Just understand this, that the day might come where he will cut you down. don't want that to happen. And so you have to deal with the things that God wants you to deal with. Jesus said to the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, verse 21, and I gave her time to repent. And God gives us time to repent, right? So we have to go and we have to deal with things according to his calendar. His chances are numerous, but they are not endless. And so let's be real and deal with the things that we need to. You know, if you go back to where this all began, you just put two and two together and you find that Jesus is telling the self-righteous to repent. If you don't know the Lord and you're self-righteous, Repent. Sometimes there are people who are not Christians and they don't think they need Jesus. Huh? Have you ever met somebody like that? I'll be okay. It was kind of funny. Yesterday I was coming home from the ministry with my son and I was calling my daughter. And I have a Bluetooth now. I don't want to break the law anymore, right? And see, so I have the Bluetooth. And do you guys ever do that where you say, call, you know, call Ariel Coronella, right? And so it's so cool, man. I love the technology, right? 
But I don't know what happened. They called like 2346478 or something like that, right? And they called this lady. And, uh, and she's all, who's this? And I'm all, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I called the wrong number. I'm all, hey, hey, real, real quick. Before you go, let me tell you about Jesus, you know? Let me tell you about how much he loves. Do you go to church? Jesus died for you. Are you a Christian? I started sharing with her, you know? And, and in the end, she's all, I don't need Jesus. Click. And I thought to myself, man, God hooked us up, man. <laughs> this was a divine appointment, undoubtedly by God, but I just can't fathom the thought of anybody. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Let me tell you something. You need Jesus. You need Him. Otherwise, you will perish. He died for you on the cross. The Bible says that He loves you so much that He died for your sins. And if you would repent of your sins and just trust in Jesus, you'll be free and forgiven. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. You'll have life even now, just give your life, surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. You need him as a non-Christian and you need him as a Christian. It's not like we come now and like, I don't need his grace anymore. I don't need his you know, unmerited favor anymore. Absolutely. If you do know the Lord, you can't be self-righteous in that either. You know, you got to repent as well. You know, one person said that Christians are just good repenters, you know. And God's just dealing with us, and he wants to continue to help us grow. We haven't arrived. As a matter of fact, what I've learned, and I've really believed this, it's not just cliche, is that the closer I get to God, the more I realize how holy he is and how far away I really am. It's like the brighter the light, the more you see of the flaws within me. And so the Lord brings you to church service today and God just wants you to come to where you need to be. Beware of self-righteousness. Replace it with humility. Beware of barrenness. Replace it with productivity, love. And then thirdly, beware of foolishness because this is where it ends up going. Look what happens in verse 10. It says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Jesus was in church. He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He was teaching the truth. And lo and behold, a woman hunched over, unable to straighten herself out for 18 years, Straggled in. Now, I don't know if you can visualize it. I probably shouldn't give you a visual because it's kind of ugly. But you know, like, like a real major hunchback condition. I have bad pastor enough. So, you know, but you can visualize that. For 18 years, she was like that. She couldn't straighten herself up. But it wasn't just a physical uh, calamity. It was an emotional one. It was a spiritual one because it was a spirit of infirmity. It was demonic. In verse 16, it says that Satan had bound her. Think about that. For 18 years. And so here's a woman and she's really, really hurting. Wouldn't your heart go out to her? Definitely, right? And so we read in verse 12, it says right here, but when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Wow, what an awesome event that took place, you know. This woman coming after 18 years of you know never being able to straighten herself out. Man, Jesus just touches her 
speaks to her, encourages her, and just looses her from the bondage of Satan. You know, and in one sense, that's what this is all about. You know, not just a physical healing. God can heal you physically, but you know what? Infinitely more important than that is a spiritual healing. Is something going on deep inside your heart. You know, people walk in through these doors and, and we see them on the streets that are hurting, that are broken, that are dying inside. And what they need is exactly what we just read right now. They need to come into these doors and they need to experience the touch of Jesus in their life. They need to be the, you know, there in the synagogue, in the church, in the sanctuary. My prayer, man, is that you would come in, that we would come in, and that we would be loosed. We would be freed. We would be healed by God of all those things that tie us down. You see, that's what this is all about. But... If you are self-righteous, you're caught up in self-righteousness, which leads to barrenness, it'll lead you to foolishness, to where something that should be, you know, celebration and jubilation and healing the lives of other people becomes indignation. And that's the foolishness of it. Because look what it happens in verse 14. It says, The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them. And not on the Sabbath day. Imagine that. Celebration, jubilation. Look at what God is doing in the life of this person over here. I mean, they're not perfect yet, man, but they're being pulled out of the pit, man. I mean, they have lived a life without a father. Some of them have lived a life without a mother. They've been hooked on drugs. They've been doing all these crazy things all their life. And look at what God is doing to them now. It's beautiful when God does that work. But a lot of times what ends up happening is we have our own little rules and regulations that we think you violated and we don't see what we need to see. You see, a fool. What is a fool? Well, a fool is one who has a narrow mind and a wide mouth. A fool is one who wanders and not travels. The bottom line is some are wise, some are otherwise, right? And here's a guy who comes to this place in his life where his personal precepts are more important than people don't ever come to that point in your life you guys please i beg of you the synagogue the church is supposed to be a place for healing and we don't want to come to this place of foolishness where our rules and regulations are more important than you know relationships people that god wants us to minister to you see right here we see in verse 14 that the self-righteousness leads to barrenness and barrenness leads to foolishness where human tradition is often elevated above truth, where rules are more important than relationships, where perverted precepts really are more important than people and where shadows are more important than the substance. God says, listen, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day, you're really caught up in the Sabbath day. Okay, now go back to that day if you could. A lot of you here, you know your Bibles pretty well. The Sabbath day was important. And if I wanted to, I could probably argue with you 
about how the Sabbath day, there's no work to be done on it. And I could probably bring some type of a biblical case, you know, from the ruler of the synagogue's perspective. And you probably could too with your things. You could use the scripture here and there and put it all together and argue with the one who's just trying to heal the other person. Who's just trying to follow their father who sent them. And that's where we end up in that place called foolishness. Let me tell you something, man. The Sabbath day, you know, that meant something. But there's no day more important than my daughter, God says. And there's no ceremony more important than my son, God says. And that person right there, I love them. And that person right there, I love them. All I know is that we have to be careful, you guys, to be able to minister to those who come in and they're bent over. God says, I need leaders who love the Lord and love the people. We're not better than them. We never will be better than them. I know I won't be. They're not worse than us. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. And I praise God for your personal convictions, man, because that's how God, you know, uniquely forms you. The Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so what that means is that all of us here are a personal poem by God. There's no one like you. That's why you have your personal convictions. But just be careful that you don't make your personal convictions their personal convictions. That's all. And I know it's hard to do that sometimes because we're all trying our best, you know, to try to be biblical and everything. But that's where it crosses the line and you find yourself becoming this individual self-righteousness, barrenness, and before you know it, foolishness to where you really can't help the one who is bent over. You know, we need to see the hurting and we need to free the hurting. We need to reach them and teach them. And in that type of person, we need to make sure that we grow as we serve the Lord. Jesus says in verse 15, The Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, man, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And Jesus said to these guys, you're hypocrites, you loose your donkey on the Sabbath to give it water and you don't want me to loose this woman, a daughter of Abraham who was bound for 18 years. You see, Jesus wasn't violating the truth. He was violating their tradition. Did you guys know there was a time when people thought that drums were, were wicked? Did you guys know that you, you're playing drums in the church? <gasps> Instruments? I mean, you know, a lot of crazy things, man. But they've kind of come to realize, you know what? That was a personal, it was a tradition. See, we didn't make the distinction. Jesus was not going against God's prohibitions. He was pretty much going against their convictions, their personal convictions, which they elevated above love. You see someone doing something that you believe to be wrong, and you punch them, right? 
You punch them with your personal conviction. Well, maybe you're right, but the truth needs to be spoken in love, if it does, with wisdom, at the right time and in the right way. Maybe you're wrong. You've got to go before the Lord. Because if not, in the end, what's going to happen? The Lord says, I'm going to cut him down. I'm going to cut him down. In the end, we see that some will repent and others will end up as adversaries to God. And so we need to beware of self-righteousness, beware of barrenness, because those two things lead to foolishness. And I want to give you guys in closing three things real quick. Three positives, I guess you could say, that really I think can help us as Christians to get through all these things. What's the antithesis to self-righteousness? Humility, right? Humility. That's a modest or low view of one's importance. The Greek word, it literally means not rising up from the ground. Humility carries the idea of esteeming others better than yourself. I like that. Self-righteousness? No. Humility? Yes. They're better than I am. They're a better teacher. They're a better pastor. They're a better man. They're a better... You name it. It doesn't even matter to me. You esteem others better than yourself. See, that's where we need to be. Humility is honesty and even a growing sensitivity and awareness to sin in my own life. You know, that was the path that Paul traveled as he matured in a Christian life. It says in Ephesians 3 verse 8, when he first started off, I'm the, the, the least of sinners. And later as he grew, 1 Corinthians 15 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles, the least of the saints, least of the apostles. And then in the very end, 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. Can you say that today? You guys who are Christians, can you say that? I'm the chief of all sinners. I don't mean you have to say it out loud. I just mean in your heart. Because if you can say that, you know what? You're going to be in really good shape. You really are. Humility. Okay? Number two is productivity. Productivity. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Remember, God likes figs. He likes fig newtons, okay? That's his favorite. God wants you to be people of love. Unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good, no matter what they act like, seeking nothing in return. You know, to love them. Would others describe you as a loving person? Would everyone describe you as a loving person? That would be our goal, right? Would God describe you as a loving person. Martin Luther said this, faith like light should always be simple and unbending, while love like warmth should beam forth on every side and bend to every necessity of our brethren. Erwin Luther said, God loved the world, go thou and do likewise. Love is the fairest bloom in God's garden, and it remains to be love if it's willing to be given to the thorns. Humility, productivity, and sensitivity. That's the last thing, sensitivity. I really want to encourage you guys to be sensitive to the Spirit. Be sensitive to what Jesus is doing. Whatever you do, don't put God in your Sabbath box. Make sure you live in the land of relationship and not on the corner of rules and regulations. And so, Father, we thank you so much for your word, your love, your grace in our life. Lord, I don't know if there's anyone here today who's come in bent over 
Um, I wonder, Lord, and if I had to guess, I would say, Lord, that there are some here today who are hurting, who are struggling, who are being beat up by the enemy. Father, even maybe those of us here today who come in like myself, I know I can be very religious. I I think I can be guilty of being self-righteous. And so I kind of come in bent over today. But no matter where we're at, Lord God, no matter who we are today, I want to thank you that you are here to touch us. Lord, that you are here to help us. You are here to heal us. You are here to wash us. You are here to forgive us and cleanse us and loose us. Out of everything, Lord, that we go away with today, my prayer, Lord, is that 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 would happen, Lord, that, Father, you would set the captives free. To do a new work, Lord, cultivate humility in our hearts. Let there be radical productivity of love, especially for your glory. Lord, let there be that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, Lord, knowing that, God, you work outside our box sometimes. I love you, Lord, and I want to thank you for my sisters here today, my brothers here today. Thank you for them. Bless them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. But I also want to pray if there's anyone here, Lord, today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, Maybe they've drifted away, Lord. Just real quick, Lord, I want to pray that you would save them. Lord, that you would bring them to that place of absolute surrender. And so just with everybody praying, just in case, if there's anyone here today, you're not a Christian, but today you want things to change. You want to give your life to Christ. You want to surrender to Him. He died for you on that cross. Until you want to turn from your sins and trust in Him. Anyone here today, I would like you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you, man. The most important decision you can ever make in life. Always want to give that opportunity. Anyone here, you don't know where you stand. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? You're not sure. Well, if you want to be sure, you want to take that step, you want to receive that invitation to salvation, right where you're at, Just raise your hand. Anyone here? Jesus says, If you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. It's just the love of God. It's just the forgiveness of God that He offers to you. And it's my responsibility to extend that invitation. If you say no, you're not saying no to me. You're saying no to God. But if you say yes, you're not saying yes to us, me. You're saying yes to Jesus. Anyone here? The Bible says, today's a day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts. If you need Jesus and you understand what I'm saying, don't say no because it hardens your heart. You need to come back to the Lord. You come back.
Father, what a joy, Lord, it is to be your children, Lord. I thank you for the work you're doing in our life. And Father, we just pray that you would be glorified. Thank you for your word, Lord, the, the godly counsel, the counsel from God. Lord, give us that love for everybody. Lord, I pray, do a great work. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.